Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all those fathers out there with us today. Not only here in the sanctuary at First Church, but also those listening to the radio or watching live on Facebook. What a great morning it is out here in northwest Ohio this morning. The Lord has been very gracious to us with a nice rain in this beautiful summer weather. If you would, please stand and join me as we begin worship with the call to worship, which today is from Psalm chapter 111. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the council of the FRA and the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just, and all his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, and acted in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts would continue to stand as we sing our worship songs that the Lord builds a house and promises.
invite you to remain standing as we pray together. Father God, your faithfulness is great. We come to you now because we trust that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And your faithfulness in the past is a, is a sure guarantee, is a sure promise that you will continue to be faithful today and will continue to be faithful into the future. We put all of our hope in you, Lord, because we know there is nowhere else to turn. You alone are God. You alone are good. And you are good to your people. And so we trust and, and praise your name this morning together with one voice as your body, as your church here in this place. We lift up our praises to you because your faithfulness is great and your love is higher than the heavens. We thank you, Father, that you are a good good Father. You are a good and perfect Heavenly Father, and we thank you for the love and compassion that you show to us, your children. And we also this day thank you for our earthly fathers. We thank you for their love, their care, and their provision towards us. May you equip and empower them, including myself, to be more like our Heavenly Father in all that they do. We thank you also for men who stepped into the gap and filled father figure roles for young people who needed one. We praise you and thank you for them. And we ask that you bless and strengthen marriages and families in our church and in our community. And Lord God, we thank you for this amazing truth that through Christ we are all adopted into your family, that we are all sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. And we thank you, God, that you show us your love and your compassion, that you give us not what we want, but what we need. And so we come before you now and in full confidence in your faithfulness and your love. And because you are a good and gracious father, we come to you in prayer and lift up our concerns to you and ask that you would do your will in each of these situations. We pray for those in a, on our prayers and concerns list, those that are ill, we ask for healing. For those that need provision, we ask, Lord, that you would provide in your own way and in your own time. And Lord, as we'll talk about later today, I ask 
that you would help us, your people, to be an answer to prayer in any way that we can. May you empower and equip us through the work of your Holy Spirit to help those who are in need, to be a comfort to those who are hurting, and to provide for those who lack. We ask also, Lord, that you would be with our leaders. And in this day, we pray for those in authority over us, as your word asks us to do. And so we pray for our national leaders, our president, our Congress, our Supreme Court, as well as, well as other elected and appointed officials. May they have a wisdom beyond their means and a hunger and thirst after, after your righteousness that they may be filled. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. This time I want to invite forward Robert and Tiana Fisher and their son Calvin for dedication. When we, when we set this date, I don't know if I realized that we were doing this on Father's Day. Maybe that was in the back of your guys' mind, but I think there's, there's probably not a more appropriate day to, to do this than on Father's Day. as a day to remember um, your family and your love for your children and the promises that you're making here today. Go right along with remembering how important fathers are and mothers in, in the process of raising children and discipling them to know, love, and serve the Lord. We talk a lot about how important discipleship is and how important, you know, children are in the life of the church. And this opportunity we have here today to witness their commitment is an opportunity for us as a church family to remember our role in raising kids to know the Lord, right? We just came off a wonderful week of VBS, VBS not too long ago, and it was just a great reminder of how important it is for us as a church family to pour into children so that they may know to, to know the Lord to grow, to know, love, and serve him. And that's the essence of the commitment that you two are making here today. So I encourage you to hear these words. First from Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. It says, people were bringing children to Jesus for him to, to, bless, to place his hands on them and bless them. But the disciples rebuked him. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And to, he took the child in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. And so just as Jesus welcomed children during his ministry and did not turn them away, we also welcome children into the life of the church and desire to nurture them to know the Lord. And Deuteronomy 6 is a great example of what that looks like in our lives. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you lie down, excuse me, when you're at home, and when you're along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. 
I think that passage is so helpful because it reminds us that raising our children to know and love and serve the Lord is more than just what happens on Sunday mornings, but it's a whole life commitment. And it happens in the homes, in normal everyday life. You have an opportunity to pour into your kids and teach them about Jesus. And that's the essence of the commitment you're making here today. And so I ask you, Robert and Tiana, to answer these questions as a statement of your faith in the Lord. Do you truly and earnestly repent of your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Do you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, and in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life? Do you intend to be Christ's faithful disciples, trusting in his promises, obeying his word, honoring his church, and showing his love as long as you live? And will you devote yourselves to the church's teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers? Praise God. And church family, I invite you to join with them in a statement of faith as we read the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. And so Robert and Tiana, having heard God's gracious promises to us in Christ, do you desire to dedicate your child to the Lord and promise to raise him to know, love, and serve him? Praise God. And as I mentioned already, church family, we have an opportunity to support them and encourage them in this commitment they're making together today. This is a commitment they're making to raise their kids to know Jesus, but we have a role, both formally and informally, that we can play. Sunday school, youth programs, confirmation, right? All of that is a part of what we offer as a church, but we also want to offer you our loving support and prayers in this commitment that you're making today. And so, church family, having heard their desire to dedicate Calvin and raise them to know Christ, do you promise your love and support and care to them as they seek to be Christ's faithful disciples? We promise to love, support, and care for you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. We thank you, O God, for the gift of life, and we thank you for this family and for this child being dedicated today. You, Lord, are the author of life and the giver of every good and perfect gift. Through the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, You've made it possible for us to be accepted into your family. I pray that you would bless and sustain this child. Draw him to yourself, just as Jesus welcomed the children during his ministry. And may he grow to love you with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we also pray for his parents that you'd equip them to, be, to fulfill the promise they make today. Bless and sustain them as they teach their children to know and love you. All this we ask in the name of your beloved son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Decided to join us again, huh? <laughs> no, you needed the book. That's all right. That's good. All right. Reverend Tiana, since you have presented Calvin for dedication, we ask you the following questions before God and his people. Do you promise to instruct him by word and example with the help of the Christian community in the truth of God's word and in the way of salvation through Jesus Christ? Do you promise to pray for him and teach him to pray? And do you promise to nurture him within the body of believers as citizens of Christ's kingdom? We do. Praise God. Praise God. All right. 
Now, here's always the moment of truth. I'm never sure how this is going to go. Will you come to see me? Hi, buddy. Hi. Not sure about me, huh? That's okay. Calvin, I dedicate you to the Father, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the free gift of salvation that is available, made available through his death and resurrection. And we pray now for Calvin, that you bless and strengthen him daily with the gift of your Holy Spirit. Unfold to him the riches of your love and deepen his faith. Keep him from the power of evil and enable him to live a holy and blameless life until your kingdom comes. May he grow to know, love, and serve you with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. We also ask that you look with kindness, kindness on Robert and Tiana. Let them always rejoice in the gift that you've given them. Grant them the presence of your Holy Spirit, that they may bring up Calvin to know you, love you, and serve you within their neighbor. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You're raising a hand in prayer. Is that what you were doing? <laughs> well, congratulations, guys. We're so thankful to, we're so grateful that we have an opportunity to pray for you and support you in this commitment that you're making today. Uh, we have a Bible and a certificate as well as a rose to remember this day that you guys can pick up after the service. Congratulations. As they're heading back to the pews at this time, I want to invite Miss Carolyn forward and our children for children's chat. sleepy yet? No? All right. What's today? Come over on this side, okay, guys? Come over here. Father's Day. Oh, I think I left my pencil back there. Meg, see if my marker's back there, will you? Oh, yes. A little slow on my props this morning. If you could name one word that would describe your dad, what would it be? Hmm? You have a name of something you could describe? Yes. I'm sorry? Nice. He's nice. I'm going to write that on this light bulb. Funny? <laughs> you think he's funny? What's he do that's funny? Does he laughed a lot and smile? What else would you call name you would call your dad or something you would describe him? Fun? Is he a lot of fun? He play with you? Huh? What else can you think of? Hmm? Oh, sweet. Yeah. Let's put that on there. Well, you know, all of us were made in God's image. That means your dads were too. So if we're made in God's image, God wants us to act like him and do good. But there's some things that God shares the qualities with your dad. And one of those is love. Do you find that with your dad? Dad, come and give you a big hug when you've done something good. Put love on our light bulb. That's what God does. God loves his children. And when your dad gives you a smile and he just seems so proud of you when you've done something, he loves you. Comes in and sneaks a kiss when you're sleeping at night. That's God's love through your dad. 
God is also a leader. Now, what's a leader do? The leader shows you how to do things, doesn't it? He gives your dads a lot of skills that way. So when he tells you to do what your mother says, what should you do? Do, do what your mother said. That's right. Or else she's going to tell, Dad, have you ever heard that before? Wait till your father gets home? Oh, we use that a lot. No? Oh, well, good, good. So we will put on here, he's a leader in your house. Now, another word is patient. Is dad always patient? Not too many dads or anybody's really patient because we all make mistakes, right? But God is patient, and God hung in there for his people centuries and centuries and centuries. And dad may get a little upset and angry with you when you've done something that's not right, and he does what? Gives you a punishment or maybe a timeout or something? So you know how to behave in the way God wants you to be. So patience. All right. Now, one last thing. God loves to have fun. Like your dads like to have fun doing things with you. God likes to see you when you're happy and having fun with your dad. And it's really, really special that way. So we have fun on there already. God is a spirit. You talk to dad about God? Yeah? And he's got some insights on that. Sometimes he has to go look things up maybe in the Bible or whatnot. But it's really important that dads who accept Jesus as their Savior will teach you that you're not alone in this world because God's always there. And he knows that uh, he wants you to believe in Jesus too and trust him. All those things are great, aren't they? They're all, and there's more words we could describe our dads. But if we turn this light bulb on, woo, look at all that. And that brings, our dads bring a light into our lives because they're sharing the things that God has taught, given them to do, the skills that he's given them to do. There's a big difference between a good dad and a Christian dad, that their Christian dad can light up with the love of Jesus. So you think of that when your dad gets home and your dad lights up the love of Jesus through his love that he's learned from God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us dads and for letting us get to know you, Heavenly Father, and knowing how to love our earthly fathers also. Help us to show our love and appreciation to our dads here on earth, and may we always show our love for you our Heavenly Father. Thank you for your Son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. You guys can head back to your seats. As they head back, I'm going to take an opportunity to share with you about our offering this morning. The offering does go to support the Children's Ministry Fund here at First Church. And that fund goes to support programs like Sunday School as well as Awana. Um, and as I just mentioned earlier, it's such an important ministry we have at this church to pour into the lives of young people Um, starting at such an early age. And so our offering this morning will go to support that ministry, and I encourage you to give as you feel led to give this morning. 
I invite the deacons to come forward and collect the offering at this time. together. Let's worship our Heavenly Father. We're waiting here for you, Lord. You are everything you promised. Your faithfulness is true. We're desperate for your presence. All we need is you.
desire, you may be seated. As we read from Nehemiah chapter 1, page 476 in your pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. I also have been to Jerusalem. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the reading of your word. We thank you that we have the opportunity to gather here in this place to worship your name and to hear from your word. I pray now as we give our attention to it over the next several minutes that your Holy Spirit would work in and through us, Lord, in this place as well as 
in the hearts and minds of those that are listening on the radio and watching online. May your spirit open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. And may you give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we've been reading through our Bible in a year uh, reading plan, we have now moved quite quickly on from Chronicles and Ezra and Nehemiah. And if you recall, the Chronicles concludes after the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel are destroyed, right? They are, uh, the first the Assyrians and the Babylonians go in and, and they wipe out Israel. And God's people are sent into exile. Many of the the leaders are brought into exile and forced to move to Babylon. And the book of Chronicles ends with a statement of hope. Siri is trying to tell me all about exile right now. Hold on. They're always listening, aren't they? Um, so as, as God's people are brought into exile, the book of Chronicles ends on a note of hope, though. The Babylonian Empire falls and, and Persia rises to power and Persia's King Cyrus issues a decree that God's people are allowed to go home and rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. So Chronicles ends on this note of hope that all is not lost, that God's people are allowed to return home. And so Ezra and Nehemiah describes the exiles returning from home and they actually return in several different waves. Uh, Ezra describes the first two waves of, of exiles returning home, and the book of Nehemiah describes a third wave led by Nehemiah. And then the book of Nehemiah then begins with him still in Susa, which is the capital city of the Persian Empire. He served as the king's cupbearer, and he heard a report that Jerusalem's walls and gates were in severe disrepair, and he knew that he had to do something. Nehemiah, this book is often lifted up as a model of what great leadership looks like. Someone who's able to get things done. And he was certainly that kind of leader. But first and foremost, as we see in chapter 1, before any of that happened, he was a man of prayer. Before anything else gets done, before he organizes the building project and organizes a capital campaign, he prays. And prayer is an integral part of his story throughout the chapters of this book. Unfortunately, prayer is often thought of, is often thought of as an add-on. Many of, many of us pray perfunctory prayers before meals and before bedtime. But Nehemiah demonstrates that prayer is certainly powerful. And it deserves more attention than just to be tacked on as an afterthought. It deserves more attention than that. It's the foundation of everything we do as Christians. Prayer should be woven into the fabric of our everyday lives. And Nehemiah here, just in chapter 1, gives us an example or a model of what powerful prayer can and should look like. So here's what I want you guys to take away today. First of all is that prayer, powerful prayer, is grounded in God's character and it equips his people to act. And we see that in five ways. First, powerful prayer is patient and persistent. It appeals to God's character. It is grounded in confession it appeals to God's promises, and then finally it empowers and equips God's people to act. And we're going to look at each one of those in turn this morning. So first, powerful prayer is patient and persistent. Notice that Nehemiah, in verse 4, after hearing the report of Jerusalem, 
of what's going on there. He sa- it says, he heard, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Notice, before he did anything else, before he just rushed headlong into action, he paused and prayed. And not just for a moment, but for days. Powerful prayer is patient and persistent. Like Nehemiah, we shouldn't run headlong into our problems without taking the time to pray first. In our rush to get things done and solve our own problems, we often act first and pray later. And that is certainly not the way that Nehemiah acts here and not the way God would have us act in our own lives. All too often we are too impatient. We look for the quick fix and try to move on to the next thing instead of slowing down and seeking the Lord in the midst of whatever challenge you are facing. I really do believe that important things in life take time. They take effort. They take hard work. And prayer certainly is work, right? I don't mean that in like a negative way. I mean, it is a commitment that we make to pray, to seek the Lord in all things and on all occasions. And that will take time. And so if you are facing a difficulty, if you're going through a hard time, if you have a big decision to make, the important thing to do is not just rush headlong into it and then tack on a prayer as an afterthought, Lord bless this mess I just rushed into. But instead, we should seek the Lord first in prayer. Be patient be persistent. And yes, it may take days or longer to pray and seek the Lord and seek his will, but that is what we are called to do. The problem with rushing ahead is that we are all too often relying on our own effort, our own energy, our own strength. But when we seek the Lord in prayer, we're able to find strength in him and find wisdom from his word. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. That's Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Don't trust in your own understanding, but in all things seek the Lord and his wisdom. And so prayer does require patience and perseverance and persistence. In our lives, we often want instant answers and instant results. But prayer is more like a slow cooker than a microwave, right? It takes time and it works in us over a long period of time. God wants us to be patient and wait on him. And before we move on to the next point, it's important to remember too that our answers to prayer may not come right away. There's a movie that came out some years ago called Bruce Almighty and it stars Jim Carrey. And uh, there's this one scene that uh, during the course of the movie, God essentially gives Jim character, Jim gets to be in charge. And the way that they communicate prayer in this movie is through email. He logs onto his computer and suddenly all the prayers of every person in the world get sent to his email and, and it's just flooding and there's no way for him to keep up. And he's trying to instantly answer all of those prayers. We like to think of our prayers as like an instant. We want an instant answer to our prayers. We want God to just reply back quickly with a short answer so we know what's going on. But rather, we, should be, we need to be patient. Our answers may not come right away, but we are encouraged to pray and to not give up. Romans 12.12 12 says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. I believe these ideas are connected. The way that you're able to be patient in affliction is by being faithful in prayer. 
Prayer gives you the strength to face whatever challenges may come your way. And so Nehemiah, before he did anything else, was patient and persistent in prayer. The second thing he did here was that in his prayer, he appealed to God's character. Specifically, Nehemiah focused on God's greatness and his faithfulness. He begins his prayer by saying, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night. See, Nehemiah knew that he could appeal to God's character, that God is great, that God is faithful. And of course, God is so much more than that, but those are the two characteristics that Nehemiah appealed to in his prayer. And those two are important for us as well. God certainly is great, which means that he is able to answer our prayers. He is the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. We don't pray to an impotent God who is unable to do anything for us, but we pray to the creator and sustainer of the universe, the one who is able to answer our prayers. He is a great and awesome God, and he is also faithful. Faithful Faithfulness is the ability to keep promises to those who love and obey him, right? When God says something is going to happen, we can take it to the bank. It is going to happen. God is faithful. And so prayer and relying on God's character is, is trusting not only that he is able to do what he says he's going to do, but that we can trust that he will do it. He is both great and faithful. And because the Lord is great and faithful, we know that he will hear and respond to his people's prayers. See, that's where our confidence in prayer comes from. It doesn't come from ourselves or how big our faith is. It comes, our confidence is based fully on the character of God, that he is great, that he is faithful, that even though we often fall short, he never does. And so our confidence is based on him and not on us. And so, you know, we may ask ourselves, what about the person who doesn't know what to pray for? I know I found myself in plenty of situations where I'm just not even sure how to pray or what to pray. I know I should, but I'm not sure what to pray for or how to pray. Well, Romans 8 gives us that answer. I encourage you, there's more there than we can read together in our time this morning. But in Romans 8, there's two things that that passage teaches us on prayer. And one is that, that when we don't know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and helps us to pray. And the second thing that Romans 8 teaches us is that Jesus, the very Son of God, is seated at the right hand of the Father and always interceding for us. And so as we pray to the Father, the first member of the Trinity, we have the other two members of the Trinity, Jesus, the Son of God, and God, the Holy Spirit, helping us to pray and making sure that our prayers are heard and answered. We pray to God, but then God also helps us through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to, to know what to pray and how to pray. So our prayers are based on the character and appeal to God's character. The third thing that Nehemiah does here, the very center of his prayer is a prayer of confession. Nehemiah knows that to come before the Lord in prayer is to be humble and honest of our need for him and how we too often fall short of his glory. And notice that Nehemiah's prayer is both individual and corporate. 
He confesses the sins of the Israelites as a whole, but then he also includes himself and his father's family in that. Confession of prayer can and should be both individual and corporate. In other words, we we acknowledge our own sin, but then we also acknowledge that we live in a sinful and broken world and we often play a role in that brokenness. Why is confession so important? Well, first, it acknowledges our dependence on God and his grace and mercy. Right? In essence, sin is when we try to go at it on our own, when we try to do things our own way and decide what's right and wrong for ourselves, when we try to act in our own strength and power rather than relying on God. And so by confessing our sin, it brings us back to God and acknowledges our need for him in every aspect of our lives. Confession moves our focus off of ourselves and back onto God where it belongs. And as I said, sin is both individual and corporate in nature. My individual sin impacts my life as well as the lives of other people. And the sin of others, or what we could call corporate sin, certainly affects my life, right? The sinfulness and brokenness of this world impacts our lives every day. The world we live in, our society, governments, institutions, nothing operates the way that it should because of our human sinfulness. And so the first step towards healing, both individual in our own lives as well as corporately, is confession. We read Second Chronicles 7.14 a few weeks ago. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. The first step towards healing is to humble yourself, to confess your sin, and to seek his face. That's why Nehemiah in his prayer makes confession the center point of what he's doing because it acknowledges his need for the Lord and acknowledges that we certainly can't do this on our own. And so we have a need to acknowledge sin as sin. That's not a very popular thing in our world today, is it? To acknowledge that, that God defines what is right and what is wrong. And our job is to line our lives up with his word and what he reveals about himself and his character and his promises to us. And so we need to let God define sin in his word. And, and, and we need to then acknowledge how our lives don't always line up with his standard. That's what confession is. And sometimes it's helpful to ask others to help us see our own blind spots. Right? We may not see how our sin is impacting our own lives or other people's lives. We need trusted friends and family to help us acknowledge those blind spots so that we can confess those things to the Lord. And ultimately, the one who knows us the best, who knows us better than anyone else, is the Holy Spirit. And we can ask him to help us see our sin in our lives. A great prayer in the Bible is Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Again, Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. After taking time to confess, Nehemiah then goes on to appeal in his prayer to God's promises. First, he appealed to God's character, his greatness and his faithfulness. And then he appeals to specific promises that God has made us in his word. And, and specifically, it, it's, he doesn't mention it here, obviously, but, but he's referring to the promises that God made all the way back in Leviticus 26. I know that's a part of the Bible reading plan that many people often 
uh, skim over or struggle with, right? Leviticus is not everybody's favorite devotional book. Lines both the blessings and cursings, curses of obedience to God's word. And we see throughout Israel's history that God was faithful to those promises, both in his judgment to those who disobey and in his promise of mercy and grace to those who repent. And so Nehemiah acknowledges that, that God will judge those who disobey and turn to false gods. The exile that they experienced is the direct result of God's judgment. He warned them and he was right and just to judge them. But Nehemiah also held on to the promise of God's faithfulness and grace and mercy, that God will restore everyone who returns to him and obeys to him. And I love this line that says that even from the furthest horizon, right? God's people have been scattered throughout the Assyrian and Babylonian and now the Persian empire. They were everywhere. They were scattered all throughout the known world. But Nehemiah's hope and and God's promise is that he will bring back those who repent and turn to him, even from the furthest horizon. In other words, no one is beyond God's grace. No one is beyond God's ability to save. You may think you are so far gone that God cannot possibly save you, that God cannot give you his grace. But I'm telling you here now today, and in Nehemiah's prayer is an example, that God is able to bring us back from the furthest horizon. You may think you've gone way too far. You've run too far from the Lord, but he is waiting for you to turn back to him and experience his grace and his mercy today. See, that divine punishment that God's people experience, that we often experience in our own lives, is always meant to lead to restorations, warnings that were meant to get their attention. You see, God is both just in dealing with our sin, but he's also the justifier of those who put their faith in Christ. And that's where God's love and his justice come together, is at the cross. Jesus took on the curse of disobedience so that we can experience the blessing of his obedience. That's the promise God makes us in his word. 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And finally, Nehemiah's prayer leads him and empowers him to act. Powerful prayer equips God's people to act. All too often we see thoughts and prayers being thrown around on social media after some sort of tragedy, right? Thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. And a lot of people view that as as an excuse not to do anything or not to act. But I think God's word demonstrates that prayer is the exact opposite of that. Prayer equips us and empowers us to act and to go and do what God is calling us to do. Prayer is not resignation. It's a call to action. See, Nehemiah was was the cupbearer to the king. The cupbearer was a very important position. It was a position of trust. He was essentially the head of security. And it gave him direct access to the king. And so his prayer here prepared him to use his position to make a direct appeal to the king. Nehemiah was uniquely positioned to act. And he used his prayer life, right? He, he looked to God for the strength he needed to then go and act, which is what we see him do in Nehemiah chapter 2 and throughout the rest of the book. My question for you today is, where has God placed you that you are in a position where you can act to carry out his will in your life. Maybe that's your, just your own family or in your neighborhood. Maybe that's at your, in your workplace or some other place that you serve. 
But God has placed you where you are for a specific reason. And how can you prayerfully act to carry out his will in your life? I mentioned earlier that that I believe we are called to be the answer to prayer. Prayer reorients our hearts and our minds so that it is in line with God's will. But then he doesn't call us to just stop after we pray. But once we pray, once our minds are, are fixed on Christ, he calls us to then act out our prayer in faith to act in line with God's character and promises. That after we confess our sin, we get rid of our selfish motives and our desires, we get those out of the way so that God can work in and through us to accomplish his will. Not in our own strength, but in the strength that the Lord provides. And so faith is acting on what we know to be true about God's character and his word, to prayerfully seek the Lord and to put our faith into action. Here's some examples of what I mean, right? Do you want to help those who are in need? Pray for them, yes. Pray for them, but then donate or volunteer at organizations like Agape or Daily Bread that directly help those who are in need. Do you care about the pro-life movement? Pray for young mothers and fathers and their unborn children and support ministries like Elizabeth New Life Center and Rustic Hope. Fight for children in foster care and to reform the adoption system so that it makes it easier and more affordable for families to adopt children and care for them. Do you want to see children and youth know the Lord? Pray for them, but also volunteer to teach Sunday school and to serve in the youth ministry. Right? Prayer and action go together. Prayerfully seek the Lord, discerning his will for your life in line with God's character and promises, and then step out in faith. It is not a lack of trust to step out and take action. In fact, acting on our prayers is a demonstration of faith that God will act according to his character and his word, that he will do what he says he will do. And the prerequisites to that is everything that we've talked about here today. And it's what Nehemiah demonstrated for us. Patience and perseverance. Prayer that is grounded in God's character and in confession and in God's promises. And if you do these things, you should not be afraid to step out in your faith and put your prayers into action. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the promises that you do make us. Help us to be people of prayer grounded in your character and in your word. Lord, we cannot do it on our own. We are sinners in need of a savior, but we thank you that in Christ our sins are forgiven and that you call us and equip us through the power of your Holy Spirit to go forth and act out and carry out your will in this world. Let it be so. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand and sing our closing song with us.
you to go here, go from this place in the power of the Holy Spirit, equipping you to do what God is calling you to do, to be the answer to prayer where God has placed you in this community, in your family, and in this world. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace.